sometimes we take a little bit of a lackadaisical approach to, I know um, uh, uh, one comedian said uh, marriage is uh, comprised of three rings. You've got the engagement ring, you've got the wedding ring, and you have the suffering. And so, so there, there's sometimes a little casual approach that we take to suffering, but if you're here today and you're suffering, if you're in the midst of a bunch of pain, if you find yourself in a, in a circumstance of life that you just can't wait to get out of, well, then you've really come to the right place because the Holy Spirit and the life of the Holy Spirit helps us move through suffering in a way that is good and that's beneficial. Because here's the reality of life. We know this, we don't talk about it that often, but it's still a reality. And that suffering is a certainty. Just say those words. Suffering is a certainty. I find that people, I've pastored long enough to know that people are in one of three stages of life. They're getting ready to go into suffering. They're in the middle of suffering and they're just coming out of suffering. There's physical suffering. There's emotional suffering. There's uh, kind of this soulish suffering that can be happening. There's spiritual uh, suffering that can be taking place. In fact, they say there, there really are three categories when it comes to suffering. Uh, the first category of suffering is what's called punitive suffering. Uh, many of the people who are experiencing punitive suffering are not here today because they're suffering in jail. Because there are things that people do that have a consequence that brings suffering into their life. Adults go to jail, kids go to jail because they, they, did, they were not wise in life and they made choices that ultimately they had to live with. But it's not always jail. There are people that live suffering in their finances because they don't approach their finances well. They, they, they spend money and they don't, they don't take an approach to finances in a way that is good and healthy for them, so they find themselves in financial trouble. What I want you to get about the punitive suffering, punitive suffering is basically all the suffering in your life, all the suffering that you've experienced, that it's your own fault. Now, how many here can admit you've got yourself into some suffering before? It happens. But there's also innocent suffering. Innocent suffering is a little bit different. Innocent suffering is, is something that ultimately is, is something that people do that brings suffering. They bring harm. It's abuse. It's rejection. It, it's the kind of things that happen in your life that you kind of walk away from or you go, go away from that situation and go, what did I ever do to deserve that? All around the world, people are uh, they're suffering through no fault of their own, whether through war or starvation or, or in kinds of um, illnesses and all kinds of things that ultimately that just are on this earth because we live in a, a sinful, fallen world. And, and, and we would just look around and go, well, we really don't deserve that. But we do live in a world that, that really works overtime in making sure that our suffering has an answer, that we can get out of our suffering, that we don't have to suffer too long. If you're suffering from a bad day, they have a drink for that. If you're suffering from physical pain, there's a pill for that. If you're suffering from rejection, there's a show for that. Get this, if you're suffering in the middle of a movie theater because you have to go to the bathroom, there's an app for that. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Later on, just look up Run P. And 30 seconds before the, they believe is the best time for you to get up in the middle of a movie and leave and go to the bathroom, your phone will vibrate because you shouldn't have to suffer in the middle of a movie. That's a punitive one, by the way. But the third category is, is a biblical 
understanding of suffering, and it's redemptive suffering. It's suffering, ultimately, that, that shapes us and refines us. When we read last week, and we're going to read Scripture here in a moment, we read last week, we, we, Paul talks about it if we suffer with Christ. The fact of the matter is, is, is that you know you're a follower of Jesus. You know you're looking to him and longing for him. You, you know that you are continuing because you, you have suffering as a result of that. Because the world does not like you loving and living and learning and having your life centered around Jesus Christ. The world would much rather you have your life centered around other things. In fact, the world would rather have you be the center of the world, of, the, of your world. But when you say, no, it's not my life, it's his life, there's suffering that comes with that because people tend to reject you. They begin to think differently about you. Actually, in the fourth century, in what was the, now it's called the Nicene Creed, uh, was the 318 delegates from the known world, the known Christian world, got together to, to kind of to bring a, a unity and a cohesiveness to the Christian faith through, through laying out some theological beliefs. But I don't want to cover their theological beliefs. I want you to know that, that of the 318 men that went to that conference and delegate to come up with these theologies, all of them, with the exception of 12, had either lost an eye, had a hand cut off, walked with a limp because of a torture that had been taken place because they were Christians. When you, when you identify as a Christ follower, when you say, I'm looking for and longing for Jesus, suffering just has a way of finding you. Now, I'm not going to just say amen and go home because nobody's going, gee, thanks. Because no one gets in and goes, well, I just want a life of suffering. But there's a maturity that takes place when it comes to the follower of Jesus and suffering. When I first started following Jesus and, and something bad happened and, and whatever the level of suffering I was going through, I just had one question that came to my mind. And the, the question that came to my mind is, God, why are you doing this to me? I gave my life to you and now I get this? Gee, thanks. How many's experienced that? It's just part, it's part, of, it's part of the way we think when we come to the Lord. And then, and then you, especially in Pentecostal or charismatic churches, you mature. And no longer do you go, what is God doing to me? Now it's the Satan's fault. So you start blaming Satan. Satan, what are you, why are you doing this? Satan, get out of here. And you start, you know, uh, singing songs and doing things that, uh, think. but as you really mature in the, in the, in the reality of suffering, in redemptive suffering, it really changes from what, God, are you doing to me? Or Satan, what are you trying to do to me? It's, God, what are you trying to do in me? Because redemptive suffering, God takes what the world tries to do, use, and he uses it for good. He makes something beautiful out of it. He actually begins to mold us and to shape us into the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ, which Paul said in Ephesians, he predestined for us to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. So he uses every problem, whether it's a punitive uh, suffering or whether it's an innocent suffering, he uses that. And if we'll let him, it becomes redemptive suffering because something beautiful comes from it. So what you find is as Paul is writing here in, in Romans chapter 8, he's really given this beautiful picture. He's, he's helping us to see that there is something that is, is beautiful that can come out of redemptive suffering. Before I read it, I, I think another good example of redemptive suffering would be if you've ever had a key made. If you've ever gone to Home Depot or Lowe's 
And uh, before, the, before you, the machines did, there was a guy that would come up and he would start grinding that. How many of you experienced that? You just wanted to go, oh, crud, that noise is so horrible, right? But that key would not work unless it endured that kind of key suffering. C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, The Problem with Pain, he said that, that you could take, a, you could take a, a mold of a key, but if you don't know what a key is for, then you would think that mold is useless. Or if, you've, if, you've, if you have a key and you've never seen a lock, you would think that key is useless. And what I think that the enemy will try to do to us is think that our suffering doesn't have purpose. There's no end to our suffering. There's no purpose to it. There's nothing good that can come out of it. And so as Paul is writing to the church in Romans, he's addressing this reality that God has a plan and God has a purpose for our suffering. So we pick it up in verse 18. Here's what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole earth, or the whole creation, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those who, whom he justified, he also glorified. That is a beautiful, beautiful part of Scripture. Now, it may have your head spinning a little bit because there's a lot there, but I'm telling you it's beautiful. And it's beautiful because when you understand our main point this morning, the place that I want you to connect to, the, the part that should inspire you and inform you to a life with the Spirit that literally brings a spirit of expectation, and it's just simply this, that, that right now, life, your situation, as great as it is, the baddest, this is not as good as it gets. This is not as good as it gets. Now, that means if life is going great for you, 
it actually is going to get significantly better. If life is bad for you, you can look forward to the life that is yet to come that will far exceed and make you forget and make you literally think that all the suffering you went through was absolutely nothing because of all the beauty and all the glory that you will get to experience. So on your absolute worst day, it's nothing compared to the glory that's yet to come. But what makes this part of Scripture so beautiful is you have, you have the earth groaning, you have people groaning, and you have the Spirit groaning. There's a whole lot of groaning going on. Listen, I knew I was getting old when I heard somebody in the room groan, and I was the only one in it. Right? Some of you can relate to that. But I want you to catch this. It, it, talks, about the, it talks about creation and the, and the futility that has been put in creation because creation knows that this is not as good as it gets. So I want you to think about this. The most majestic, beautiful mountain range that you've ever seen in a, in a blue sky day with little puffy clouds and absolutely what you would say is perfect, that's as not as good as it's going to get. When you think about the wind blowing over the wheat fields in the great plains of the United States and the beauty that happens when you see that, that is not as good as it gets. When you think about being at the beach and, and, the, and the rolling ocean and the blue water and being able to see the fish and the hammerhead sharks and wanting to swim, it's not as good as it gets. Because creation, Paul said, was subjected to futility. Meaning, ultimately, that the, the creation, the world that we live in, it's frustrated. It does not like its current state. It doesn't like that it produces hurricanes. And hurricanes cause what? Suffering. It doesn't like that, wait a minute, the earth doesn't like you're talking about? I'm saying that the Bible says that there is a dynamic of a soul of this earth that we've got to recognize exists. That whenever a tornado comes through and, and, and everybody from around the country runs into the closet or the bathroom and us Texans, we walk outside and look for it, right? It, it causes destruction and it causes suffering that does that and the earth is frustrated by it. Whenever there's an earthquake and, and I remember as a, as a little rich going on a trip into Montana with my parents and, and going to this place where an earthquake happened and the whole mountain literally fell on all these cars and over 200 people died in a moment because of an earthquake. All that suffering surrounding that. The earth is frustrated and the earth groans because it wants its life back. It didn't cause it. It didn't say, I'm going to create a rose with thorns. That was caused because of sin in the world. And so if you end up getting caused in the rose bushes, you end up suffering a little bit. The whole earth knows it's not as good as it gets. As you mature in your, in your walk with the Lord and you grow in your walk with the Lord, you begin to look and, and, and where, the, where much of the world, they're seeking after their, the, the, the insulation from suffering by making sure their bank accounts are big enough or making sure that they're eating all the right foods. And I'm not saying you shouldn't eat the right foods, but I'm saying that there's such a, a focus and such a desire so to making sure that they can live the longest and, and not have any suffering in their life. They think that this is as good as it gets. But when you mature in the Lord, you begin to look around going, not only is this not as good as it gets, this is bad. There's so much evil in the world. 
I get sick and tired of watching people care more about themselves than the people that are around them. People waging war for their own gain. I sit back and you sit back, whether you admit it or not, and you groan. You go, this, there's nothing I can do about it. We really have no ability in ourselves to stop all the suffering in the world, all the innocent blood that is shed. When I see people cast someone aside, especially in marriage, as if they're not even important, I groan. Because I look at this world and I, and I look for and I long for the return of Jesus Christ because I know this is not as good as it gets. And I think for, for a life where you are interacting in suffering with the spirit of expectation, you have to have the foundation of this is not as good as it gets. So if your motives come tomorrow, if, if your motivation come next Thursday is, is trying to make your life better because you think this is as good as it gets, you're going to really struggle when suffering comes. You're going to blame. You're going you're, you're to you're make excuses. Uh, you're going to do everything you can to, to kind of get, you know, insulate yourself because you really think that this is as good as it gets. But the Lord begins to mature you because while you think that way, the Spirit can still be inside of you going, you can't groan. I'll groan for you. I'll intercede for you. I'll take, I'll take you to the edge of yourself and I'll let it go a little bit further because unlike us, he knows the mind of the Father perfectly. And he comes and he prays perfectly. So we start going, okay, this is not as good as it gets, so how do we grow in this? Well, we grow in it because now we begin to look differently. And when I say look, it's with our eyes. The things that we look for, because now we're looking, as Paul said, we look with hope. We don't see the, we don't see the end. We don't see the, the outcome of what God is doing in the middle of this. But when you are sitting at you in, during your worst day in the, in the most troubling time of your life, you just get reminded, this is, this is not as good as it gets. I'm looking for something better. I have an expectation. Now, before I go with that a little further, let me, let me tell you what you don't do. Because I think it's easy to get caught up here, and our culture really, uh, we live in, a, in, a, in such a comparison culture nowadays because of all the different ways we can compare ourselves with ourselves. It, it's easy to, to be in the middle of our suffering, be in the middle of our problems, and just look for someone who's suffering worse than you. Right? You know, when we were kids and, you know, we were, didn't want to eat our peas because Van praying kids never liked peas, okay? My kids didn't even know what peas were. And, and then parents would say, well, there are still children starving in Africa. To the response being, I knew. See, I knew. Because that's the, that's the thought. Send it to them. Because right? we, we, we think of somebody worse. And, and by thinking of somebody worse, that's supposed to make ourselves better. But we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that in the idea of righteousness. There's no righteous person in the world. On the good sense, there's no one I can look at and go, here's the person that I want to be like other than Jesus. 
So the same is true in our suffering. We don't look to other people and the suffering of other people to go, well, at least I'm not that. At least I'm not dealing with that. If you're a person in your heart and, and in, your, in your life groups, you're trying to encourage one another through, uh, through uh, suffering, don't point people toward other suffering people. That is not what they need. That's not where the spirit of expectation comes. The spirit of expectation comes when the Holy Spirit begins to show us of the glory that is yet to come. Now I'm looking for something that is better. Now I have, now I have a door that I'm waiting to get through. And depending on the level of suffering, I may be really beating on that door. And I don't have a knob to open on my side, but on the other side is the one that I'm hoped for. And that's Jesus. And there's going to be a day that he opens that door. And I'm going to be able to walk through and I'm going to be able to, to enjoy. But it's difficult. Think of a kind of a, an Australian legend. This Australian legend comes from uh, a village in the, in the mountains where the, this village, it's not a very large village, but there's this village on the, the, the south side of this mountain range. And in between them and another mountain range is this valley. And on the other mountain range, on the, on the north side of that mountain range, is the sawmill. And everybody in the village would go work at that sawmill. But nobody walked through the valley. In fact, they would go down this road that had been a generational, well-worn path where they would walk all the way around to the other side where the sawmill was at. But the legend says that as they would walk, there would be a guy, his name was Leopold. And Leopold, every morning, as, as the whole village was, you know, their little pails heading off to work, he would be waving as he would drink his tea. And to their utter amazement, they would get to work to find Leopold. And so someone once said, well, Leopold, how are you getting to work before us? And he goes, well, I'm just going through the valley. You can't go through the valley. It's dark down there. People get lost down there. There's dangers down there. You could get hurt down there. And he says, oh, no, I, I know all that stuff. But listen, I look across and I see right over there, I see that sawmill. And I just point that direction and start walking. And I get into the woods and I look around and I went, oh, I hope I didn't lose my way. So I climb a tree. And I get to the top of the tree and I see the sawmill again. And I go down and I start going again. And do you know, sometimes I have to climb three or four trees before I get there. But I still get there before you. And I think that it's really illustrative to us that when you're in the weeds of suffering, when you're in the darkness of suffering, you need to be lifted up so you can see the right thing. And what do you see? You see the life that has been promised us, the thing that we're looking for. So my encouragement to you this morning is keep looking. Keep looking. Learn to look. And to me, it kind of goes with that next one is where really we begin to, we look, but we also begin to listen because it's during this time that the Holy Spirit really is talking the entire time. If we'll listen to God's Spirit, you'll find that He's speaking to you. He's talking to you because He's the one that's molding you. He's the one that is causing the, you to be shaped in the midst of the suffering. Now, He didn't cause the suffering, but now He's using the suffering. And so now He begins to he begins to speak. But in sometimes, and especially I know for me in some of the darkest seasons of my life, I don't even know what to pray. My tendency to pray is just, Jesus, get me out of here. I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this. I just don't. Why is it I have to be going through this? And so sometimes I just go, nice sigh. 
But the beautiful thing is that Paul said that the Spirit himself, he intercedes with groans too deep for words. The beauty of the Spirit doing this in our life is that he is so unified with the Father of heaven that they don't even need words to communicate. He just, uh, uh, and the Father knows. And in that, in that, in that, I don't, even, I don't even know how it really works, but somewhere in that spirit where he just goes, uh, uh, the Father immediately knows what's needed. Because I know I don't know how I should pray in the middle of suffering. Because when I'm in the middle of suffering, I just want this flesh taken care of. And God's saying that flesh means nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed at my coming. You know, I think another thing, when I think of listening, I, this is the beauty of the day that we live in. I've done this a number of times. I've, I've counseled a number of times people who are in, in, in deep times of grief, deep suffering. Uh, just take your phone and get the Bible app and just put the book of Psalms on. Let it read to you. Just read. The Psalms is all about life is hard, God is good. Life is hard, God is good. And if you just listen, all of a sudden, it's like, it's like the Spirit begins to take the, the pain that the psalmist has experienced and saying, and he's saying, I know how you feel. I understand. I'm not absent here. And then, and then he says, but look the result. Look at what can come out of this. And so let it, so let it just, just wash over to you. Listen to it. But also, I think that, and especially here at Bethel, for, I, I feel sorry for those of you that line that don't get to connect with the same people that I get to connect with here at Bethel. There are people that you should listen to at Bethel when you're suffering because they're not going to just pat you on the back and go, yeah, well, look at this person over here. They're worse off than you. You'll make it. No, they speak redemptive words. There's incredible maturity here. And so listen to those who are mature in your life, who will allow the, the suffering become redemptive suffering. I think there's a really good illustration. There's a really good uh, a human illustration of really what God desires to do through suffering in our life. And you have to kind of go back in history. But the guy's name was Augustine Bartholdi, hard to pronounce, but he, he was from France, went to Egypt in 1856. He was awestruck by the grandeur of the pyramids. He was, he was just taken back by the magnitude of the mighty Nile and the, and the beauty and the, and the stately sphinx of the desert. And his, his artistic mind was really stimulated. While on this trip, he met another guy, a guy by the name of Ferdinand de Lespes. Ferdinand was there to sell an idea. His idea was that a canal could be cut between the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. And if, we would, they would, if they would cut that canal between the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea, it would save merchant ships the long journey around the tip of the African continent. And so while he's selling this, Augustine gets, or August gets this uh, concept that he would design this lighthouse at the entrance of the canal. Now, in his mind, being the artist that he was, it wasn't going to be an ordinary lighthouse. It was going to be something that was unique. It was going to, it was going to speak of the beauty of Western civilization. So he took 10 years 
as the Suez Canal was being built. For 10 years, he worked on his idea. He drew it out, he modeled it in clay, and he did everything that he could to make, make his presentation. And there was only one problem. And the problem was who was going to pay for it. And so he went and he, he looked everywhere and no one was interested in his lighthouse at the grand opening of the canal. I want you to let's think, think, 10 years is just a number. But in 10 years, there's 12 months. And in 12 months, there's 30-ish days. Each one of those days have 24 hours. And all the, all the sweat and all the tears and all the anguish and all the things that he put into to him was just tossed aside. It meant nothing. He goes back to France. And he starts presenting the idea to the minister of France. And this idea was that this lighthouse that should be at the beginning of the Suez Canal would hold books of justice in one hand and a torchlight lifted in the other to light the entrance to the canal. And where he thought it would end up in Egypt, we know that it is in New York because it's the Statue of Liberty. Now, life doesn't always work out that way in this life because we know that this, help me, is not as good as it gets. So if you're thinking that God is going to take and redeem every disappointment, every suffering in this life, you still have a little bit of spiritual maturity to happen. Because Hebrews 11 says that here are all these heroes of faith, but some were died by the sword, some were beheaded, some were thrown to the lions because they weren't good enough. Because God understands that redemption is not just for this life, but the life that is yet to come. So what do we do? Let me give you three things to leave with this morning. Here's the go piece. And simply, we're going to let it out, let it go, and let it grow. Okay? Now, what do I mean by let it out? Well, feel free to sigh. Feel free to complain about it. Feel free to go before God and say, this stinks. This is horrible. Feel free to have someone in your life that you can say that to. That's going to point you in the right direction, mind you. But listen, God's a big boy. If you're mad at him, let him know. The more you bottle it up, the more you hold it in, the more you're going to suffer. Groan, let it out. Sometimes the groans are just, just too deep. I, I remember when my good friend Jim Mills, missionary, was the day he, well, really it was the day before he was going, going to go home with the Lord. The only thing he could do, just hold up Bible. His whole body was sighing. His whole body was just going, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. You know, sometimes there's just nothing we can do. But we have somebody who intercedes for us. We have a life with a spirit who can bring an expectation, but we got to be willing to let it out. But then you got to let it go. And here's what I mean by let it go. It's in the midst of suffering. Not every case of our suffering, but the majority of our sufferings, there's going to be an element of forgiveness that's going to have to take place. This is the place where the flesh is going gonna, is, is gonna to want to get Bruce Willis to come and do Die Hard 10 on the person causing the problem, right? But, but the Bible says that we're to forgive. 
And forgive is an act that says, I'm not in control and I don't care what you do to me. This is not as good as it gets. The fact of the matter is, is that there are going to be people that don't, don't ever receive Jesus, who never ever look to him, who never say yes to his life. There are books of all their wrongs, all the sufferings that they got, and the great God of heaven is going to judge them for it. You don't have to. Let it go. That's an act of our will. We have to choose to do it. And when we do it, there's this dynamic of spirituality that happens with the spirit that, that a miracle happens. Because it's not something you can do in your own humanism. But the great God of heaven who indwells you by his spirit, he begins to groan over this. And, and, and you go, yeah, I want to go there. And he goes, that's all right. I'm praying according to the will of my father, and it's going to be so. And you find a miracle. But I, I would say, finally, you got to let it grow. And here's what I mean by that. Your suffering is not in vain. It's not something that just needs to be random, that you need to get through. Grow out of it. Grow through it. Allow God to, to, um, to really bring you to a place that he desires for you. For the beauty that he creates in you during this time is something that you're going to enjoy throughout all of eternity. And if, and, and if, you, don't let, if you don't let him do that now, if you run from it, if you hide from it, you may still go from heaven, but you're going to be disappointed that you did not give God the opportunity to do it. And so submit to him and say, Lord, I'm just looking to you and I'm looking for your return. Do with me as you desire. And then because we're, we really believe in this, this redemptive relationship thing around here, have people in your life that you can spend time with. Find, a, find really a person who's going to point you to the person and to the place that you're looking and longing for. They're the one that's going to take you by the, the shoe and put you up into that tree so you can get your heading straight. And if you don't have somebody like that, ask the Lord for somebody like that. He's, he can bring people around you that will, will help you in that. Because when you get your bearing straight during suffering, it's not the matter that you enjoy living there. You just begin to go, wait a minute. The spirit of expectation is in my heart and I can make it. I can, I can do this not on my own, but by the grace of God. And the people around you, they're going to look and they're going to wonder. They're going to be in awe and how you could go through what you're going through. And they're going to turn, they're going to go, how did you do it? And there's going to be an opportunity to ignite change because you're going to say it's because of the spirit of expectation that is in my heart because the life we're living is not as good as it gets. And so Jesus, will you help us? We help us to look to you today. We turn to you. We say yes and amen to your plans and purposes. In the middle of suffering, Lord, will you help us to see? Will you help us to know? Will you help us to grow? And will you help us to go knowing that this is not as good as it gets, but there is yet better before us in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that in the level, say amen. amen. Now, you're adults. I believe you can take this and do something with it. So by all means, if you're suffering, do something with it. Connect with one of the things that we talked about this morning. If you want help with that, you can take that little green card and you can write grow and you can say, hey, have someone connect with me and we'd be happy to do that. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish with one song. Worship team is going to come and just maybe do the half of the song. Uh, and then we're going to dismiss by going into the portico. We're going to do two things. We're going to do a water baptism because a young lady and her mom spent the time to go through the work of making sure that they understand that what water baptism is and we want to celebrate that with them, right? Amen. And then we're going to pray for the kids that are going to kids camp because we're going to say amen and then kids are off to kids camp. Okay. All right. So let's stand together. Let's sing. And then we'll, uh, Marco just direct everybody out front. 
Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.